Hello and welcome to today's Leadership in Action interview with James Timpson. James has taken what might be considered a fairly unexciting family shoe repair business and transformed it over the years into a dynamic, profitable and highly decentralised organisation. In addition to the core repair business, James has diversified into photo processing, acquiring 180 Max Spielman shops in 2008 and 121 Snappy Snaps outlets in 2013. The group now boasts over 1,300 stores across the UK and Ireland. James has a radical approach to business, including using an upside-down management structure and a focus on recruiting ex-offenders. This led to James setting up the Timpson Foundation to offer internal help and support to these employees. And in 2011, he was awarded an OBE for services to training and employment for disadvantaged people. When I recorded the interview a couple of weeks ago, I was suffering from a throat infection, so please excuse the croakiness and occasional coughing fit. Uh, I'm sure it won't detract from what was a fascinating conversation. Let's go to the interview now. Timpsons is a very different business to when you took over. What was the catalyst that started it all? Survival, I think. Survival? Um, We were in a very tricky time because we were one of three multiple shoe repair businesses all of whom were doing pretty badly. We were doing less badly than the others. And the real problem was that shoe repairs was declining by 15 to 20% year on year every week. And that was where the main margin, the main part of the business was. And um, we had to diversify into other areas. And we managed to survive by doing that better than anybody else and also having the best people. Um, so can you describe some of the um, some of the changes that took place to ensure that survival and subsequent thriving? I think the, there, were, there were two main changes. One was um, the way we recruited colleagues, and the other is the way we ran the business. Mm-hmm. So, so far as colleagues goes, um, we decided we only wanted to recruit on personality, not on skill, yeah. because there were lots of skilled shoe repairers who weren't very good at serving customers and taking money, although they were very good at repairing shoes. So we worked out that you can train for skill, but you can't train for personality. Mm-hmm. So we decided just to recruit lovely, bubbly, fun, kind, interesting people and train them to be great shoe repairers and key cutters. So that made a huge difference. Obviously, it took time to work work its way through. And it also solved our recruitment problem because we were always just looking for shoe repairers who normally work for other people. Um, So this sort of opened the possibilities of recruitment for us considerably. Mm. And the second one is we decided, um, really after me running shops down in London, that I could take more money than anybody else when I would run a shop. And it was because that I could break the rules. So I thought, well, if I can break the rules, why can't everyone else? Because we make more money if we do that. So that's when we started creating what then became Upside Down Management, which is those colleagues who serve customers and put money in the till are the kings and queens of the business, and they can do whatever they want. As long Mm -hmm. as they abide by our two golden rules, which is put the money in the till and look the part, Um, other than that, they can decide how they want to run the business. So a lot of people thought that we were running a franchise business when we're not um, is because we trusted great people to run the business as they saw fit. Okay, so, so even now that the business is not a franchise model, it's all fully owned? Correct. Apart from the Sappy Snaps business, which we bought a couple of years ago, which is a franchise business. Right, okay. franchise. Super. Um, can you describe to me the essence of the Timpsons culture that's emerged from that? Um, I would say the essence of the culture is recruit lovely people, look after them, and trust them to get on with it. Mm, yeah. That sounds like a recipe for success, definitely. <laughs> well, it sort, of, it, sort of, it sort of works for us. 
Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Can, can you tell us some of the challenges that you faced in going through the transition to your new values? Um, I think it was a, we had challenges on three fronts. The first one was middle management, who didn't like the fact that they weren't allowed to tell anybody what to do, and it wasn't their job just to tick boxes and make sure everyone was doing as they're told. They had to trust people to get on with it. So it was their job, rather than um, rather than telling people off, it was their job to put their arm around everyone's shoulder and get to mm-hmm. know them as friends and colleagues. So that was a big issue, and lots of people just didn't didn't feel comfortable doing that. The next challenge was at what people call head office, we call it Timson House, which is again, now they're only allowed to say, you know, when anybody phones here, we pick up the phone and we just say yes. Whereas before, it was seen as very much the, is where the power lay, and uh, I was taking the power away from them and putting it into the shops. And then the last problem was those colleagues who'd been with us for a long time were very nice people, worked very hard, and were very good craftsmen, but they weren't actually very good at serving customers and taking money. Mm. And they obviously resisted against um, what we were trying to do. And, and how did you manage to handle that situation? Uh, we encouraged them to find their happiness elsewhere. Right, okay. As a family business, um, how much of a part did your father play in, in the transition? Um, it was very much a team effort. Yeah. Um, he let me get on with it. He was very good at the communication side of things. So I sort of come up with the ideas, talk them through with him, we mould them together. And then he sort of wrote it all down and ended up putting it into books, um, sort of cartoon books, um, written books. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of went on various cars, planes and trains to go and tell everyone how it was going to be over probably about 10 years, really. Because I mean, I think to change a culture takes at least five years. And that's yeah. when you're banging the drum every day. The, the transition to the upside down management, that sounds one of the most radical aspects. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about what that's all about. So if you were to join us in Bristol working for, um, say, our Timpson business rather than our photo business, and um, you on, on, on day one you're allowed to um, make any decision that you think is in the right, best interest of the customer and the business. So, so if a customer comes in and we've messed up their watch, and you need to pay out £450, you don't need to ask anybody, just take the money out of the till, if that's what you think is the right thing to do, and no one will tell you off if you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. You're also responsible for your own training. So we, we we give you a training manual, you work with someone who's trained to train you, but essentially we're not going to keep pushing you, we're going to let you find your own level. Um, and then if, if you pass our 16-week apprenticeship test, that's when you really become a colleague and really involved in the business. So we're pretty thorough in making sure that only the best get through our apprenticeship training program. Um, And then over the next two years, you really start to learn how our business works and how you fit in it. Um, And we also like to encourage people just to have a go at things. They don't have to ask, they just do it. If it works, tell us. If it doesn't work, don't bother doing it again. Mm -hmm. And you start to sort of to, to appreciate the fact that you are the boss and you know, if you do really well, you will earn good money. Yeah, so that, that f- feeling of empowerment takes a while for them to actually get get to grips with. Yeah, I think because the more skilled you are, the more money you earn. Right. So yeah. there is a sort of, you know, you can't just turn up from, from day one and uh, be, be a superstar. You've got to, you've got to earn your spurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you mentioned the fact that uh, no one's allowed to tell anyone else what to do, in fact. When uh, I heard you speak in Bristol, you actually said that it's a sackable offence. So how does it actually work? Well, if you are um, 
Okay, we have our two golden rules. So if you go against our golden rules, then you can tell someone what to do. Right. You know, if, someone, if I turn up in a shop and the colleague's not wearing a badge or hasn't shaved or has a radio on, I will say, listen, come on, Bob, you know, you know the score, that's not on. Yeah, right. Um, but if they decided to charge different prices or to do 50% off because it was their wedding anniversary or to change the displays or paint the shop pink, that's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if it works, great, I'll do it everywhere. If it doesn't work, just don't do it again. Right. Um, and then from a Timpson House perspective, um, it took a long time just to get the right people and to encourage them so that they knew that um, they just say yes and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Who are the people that have most influenced you on your leadership journey? Um, I would say a lot of it is the colleagues I've worked for. Mm-hmm. And because we have a very low staff turnover I've worked with most of my senior team I've worked either for or with over 20 years so that has the biggest influence because um, you know no one's a big shot here right you know I get told off every day for doing things (laughs) wrong or saying the wrong thing but I think because I really look after my good people then they respect me um, and they tell me what's going on yeah. Um, so I would say it's a combination of um, the colleagues in the business, and obviously my dad and and um, my non-exec directors who've been excellent. But if I look outside the business, a number of businesses which I really admire and I've been to see, I spend quite a lot of time going to look at other businesses. Right. Uh, so I think Richer Sounds is one I love. Yeah. They're the hi-fi um, TV shops. Um, Southwest Airlines. Um, mm-hmm. There's a wonderful business in Helsinki called Sol. I don't know whether you've heard of Sol. No. S-O-L. Um, they do office cleaning and um, sort of they've gone into recruitment and things now. But um, everyone everyone wears yellow. Everyone is slightly bonkers. <laughs> but um, great, fun culture. Yeah. Um, and then there are more up-to-date businesses um, that, you know, get it. Um, I think one of my friends, Matt Davis, who's just finished running Halfords and now gone to Tesco, he's very good on the culture stuff. And um, I think that's really helped because, you know, we employ um, offenders as well. And I think because we've got the culture that we have, it's enabled me to um, do that with a willing colleague base. Right. Okay. Um, James, you mentioned about um, employing offenders. Can you tell us a bit more about that and some of the other good things that uh, Timpson does beyond the business? Okay. So we've been employing um, ex-offenders for far more years than we actually know. Um, but we decided to positively go and recruit people from prison about 12, 13 years ago um, because we recognised that we're just after personalities, we're not after skill. And there were some people in prison who've got fantastic personalities but find it very difficult to get a job. So to cut a long story short, we've now got over 10% of our colleagues uh, knowingly joined us from prison. We actually recruit them while, while they're in prison. And we still have a number of people who work for us that are still in prison today. Um, but it's worked for us because we have managed to find a way of finding these amazing people who've made bad decisions, wrong decisions, um, been in very difficult circumstances, some of which is their own fault, some of which is own, it isn't. And that's led um, to them being out of the employment market. So we know ways of finding them. We interview them. We judge them like we judge anybody else, which is on their personality. And if we think they fit the bill, then they come and join us. And we, we, we give them a lot of support. We make sure the first few months 
um, go smoothly, and then they just get on with it and they live a normal, um, unchaotic life, which is what we want. Um, but we do it for commercial reasons because I want to find good people. Mm-hmm. But it's not just about finding people from prison, which is important. It's about looking after your colleagues who work tirelessly every day for us. So everybody gets their birthday off. Uh, we have a number of holiday homes where people can go on a free holiday. We do dreams come true. Um, we have lots of social events. We do scratch cards. As, um, everyone gets a birthday card and birthday present, and we do fun trips and we do lots of things because it's not just about working hard. It's about recognising um, that, that the part that um, families and loved ones play in helping our colleagues be amazing at work. Mm-hmm. So, so looking after your people and recognising them for their efforts. It's the best money you can spend. Yeah, yeah. Best return on investment. Absolutely. James, what, what do you think are the uh, key qualities of a great leader? Um, key qualities of a great leader, work hard, mm-hmm. um, kind, yeah. pe- people person, ambitious. Right. And, and uh, are there any leaders you feel who exemplify that? Yeah, I've got a number of friends who I think are fantastic leaders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a great, not, I, I don't know much about sport, but I'm sure you've got lots of uh, leaders in sport who sort of tick all those sort of boxes. Um, but I do, I, I do think as well there is a case for leaders being in post for quite a long time to make a proper long-term difference. Mm-hmm. And I do worry when you see the job hoppers, yeah. not, just, not, not just the job hopping leaders of businesses, but, you know, the sort of the senior management and, and, uh, and, and the like, um, they don't have time to really get the culture going. Yes, as you say, if it takes five years to change culture, you can't come in and turn a business around in a meaningful way in a couple of years. Exactly. I mean, we've been involved with a very small primary school not far from where we live in Cheshire. And the only reason it's, it's turned around from a failing school that's going to close seven years later to a school that's absolutely thriving and three times as many kids want to go there as we've got places is because of the leader, a guy called Steve Docking, absolutely fantastic. And if he was there for two years and got moved, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have happened at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Looking back, what do you think has been your biggest leadership mistake and what did you learn from it? Um, buying businesses I shouldn't have bought mm-hmm. um, and, take, and believing people's... Um, so being taken in by people who you think are really, really good and they turn out not to be very good. But then I've learned my lesson, which is fail fast. Mm-hmm. If things aren't working out, just cut and run. You mentioned um, the book Maverick by Ricardo Semler. Can you give us some of the nuggets that you've found in there that you've applied to your business? Well, I think you know, he's in a traditional business, which is making big industrial mixing machines, which is not exactly dot-com, silicon roundabout type businesses. And similar to ours, which is a pretty old-fashioned, run-of-the-mill type business, but we do it in an extraordinary way. So I think the first point is, is that it's so easy for people to, especially young people coming through business schools and things, to think they've got to do something really sexy. It's got to be something cutting edge. I completely disagree. I think the easiest way to make money is by finding a traditional business but doing it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was one of, the, one of the lessons. And the other one is just trusting your workforce to make the right decisions. Yeah. It's amazing how many businesses cannot trust people but they do pay them lots of money and these people also go on holiday have children have mortgages have pensions and uh, you know are pillars of their local community but you don't trust them to make small decisions and I think that's mad and I think um, that's what 
um, Maverick, you know, in the, in the Maverick book, it's just clear. I mean, I think they actually got to the stage where everyone decided how much they were going to pay themselves. Yes, that's right. Yes, uh, that's one of my favourite stories. Is is he only ever turned down one person who he th- who he thought was asking too much, and in hindsight he realises he was wrong because the guy left, became president, and one of their their competitors. <laughs> so the, I mean, another book is um, I, I really like is the Nordstrom Way. Yes, I don't think we've read that one. I think that's you know, just the nitty gritty detail of being a very good retailer. Yes, Not getting the detail right but keeping it simple. Yeah. Focusing on immaculate customer service and having a clear idea of who your customer is. Yeah. Hmm. Brilliant. Um, so, where does Stimson go from here then, James? Um, well, we say we mentioned the word five years quite a few. The words five years quite a few <laughs> times. I think you can only plan five years ahead realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but two things to be sure. One is we want to remain a private family business, and the other, and the other is I just want to keep recruiting lovely, nice, kind interesting people mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've got two big businesses we've got the Timpson business and then the, the photo business um, and we want to keep growing um, keep looking at opportunities um, and uh, keep enjoying it absolutely it comes through in your conversation very much that uh, fun is an important part of it yeah, well, who wouldn't, yeah I, mean, that, I mean we've all done jobs which are bloody miserable <laughs> and, uh, yep. there's no point I prefer to earn a quarter of the amount, but but really enjoy it. Yeah, life's too too short, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much so. Okay, super. Uh, James, one final question. If you had to give just one piece of advice on leadership uh, to to our listeners, what would that be? It would um, take a long, hard look at your senior management and all of those who aren't amazing, encourage them to find the happiness elsewhere as Mm. quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. And... That's the recipe for a high-performing team. Completely. Okay, well, thank you very much, James. Really appreciate your time. Well, I'm sure you'll agree. James has given us a fascinating insight into a very different sort of business culture. I'm certain there are many thoughts, ideas and lessons both you and I can take from this and add them to our own repertoire of leadership and teamwork skills to create more engagement, more ownership and better results for ourselves and our teams.